Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. As you're doing that, the children this morning can be dismissed for Children's Church. They will head upstairs and have a service in the Children's Chapel for the remainder of our service. We are page 902 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. In John chapter 16. Starting in verse 19, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This summer we've been talking about prayer and the life of dependency, and we're going to continue there. One of the things that I said a few weeks ago, and I reiterated my Sunday school class this morning, but I think bears repeating here today, it's incredibly important, I think, to, to realize that when you cut through everything as you interact with people in the world and you wonder who who in fact are believers and who are not believers, who are Christians, who are not Christians. And and we can't totally know that. Certainly God knows the heart. But one of the ways to measure that, I think, one of the ways to to kind of sort all of that out, and, and we don't have to sort it all out. Thankfully, God does that. But sometimes I think we get we get confused with all of the labels and all of the stripes and all of the things that people... Uh, affirm in some of those stripes. How do you get to the heart of the matter? How do you cut to the chase, if you will? And I think the way you cut to the chase is that you ask the question, where are they resting? Where are they resting? Where are their souls resting? Because that's what the Christian life is about. Um, It's about what the Sabbath is about, a Sabbath rest. Uh, there's a rest coming, a rest for our souls from sin. Where do we rest in regards to our sin? Where do you rest in regards to your sin? Is it Christ and Christ alone? Now, there's certainly stripes that tag some stuff on to that that are not central issues. But the key is, the central issue is, where do they rest? The Christian life is learning to rest. It's finding that rest and then living in that rest. And that's why I think prayer is, is, is so important because prayer is that battle to keep resting in the right place, to keep looking to Christ and to His grace. Letting Him be the giver because the giver gets the glory. The giver gets the glory in salvation. He gets the glory in all things as we live out our Christian life. So, so that's why we're here. Because it's about rest. And 
teaching us how to fight for that rest. We've been in the book of John the last weeks. We started out in the Lord's Prayer. Pastor Dan spoke from Colossians 1. And then my intention this morning was to go to Jesus' high priestly prayer and to speak from that particular text this morning. But I'm not. We, we're going we're gonna to stay where we were last week for a while. Um, I haven't often had this happen, but last week I went away from this pulpit frustrated. Now, there have been degrees of frustration, but not quite as keen as there was last week. As I came to a close last week, I realized what I had to say was not communicated very well. Um, Part of the reason for that is that at the very last, I realized I was going to be short of time, and I shuffled some things. And when I shuffled them, I, I shuffled them in ways I shouldn't have shuffled them in my notes even. And so I realized some of the things that I was thinking were being said actually didn't get said. And, and to be honest with you, this, these texts are so important. This, these chapters, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, Lord willing, next week, are so important in this regards to the issue of prayer that I'm just, I'm just going to go back and redo a bit of what we said last week. We added a few things to it. So if you were here last week, some of this will sound repetitious, but I hope helpful. Um, it, it's just too important. These texts are so significant that it is, it is too important a thing to, to go over the top of feeling like maybe it didn't get communicated effectively. So we're going to try again. Let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to help us. Father, help me this morning. Help me, Father, as we unpack what you said to us about prayer in these chapters. I pray it will have a beneficial effect for us, a helpful effect for us, Lord. Help us to learn better this life of dependency. So we just ask for your grace and for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We began with three texts last week. We we put them on the screen. They'll be here again this morning. But the first text was John 16, the text, part of the text that was written this morning or read this morning. Let me reread verse 23 to you here and 24 this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whatever you ask of, my, of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, that text, as we said last week, all by itself, um, is, is really not fully understandable. Because what it is saying is, you can ask whatever you want to ask, and it will be given to you. There's no qualification in that text, or at least not much of a qualification in that text itself. And my contention is, part of the reason there's not a qualification there is because the qualification is in the broader context of the whole discourse. If you look at John chapter 17, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, those words are chapter 14, 15, and 16. It was a narrative that needs to hang together. That's the danger of verses and chapters in Bibles. We tend to break out narratives that should stay together. And, and so in order to understand the whatever of this text, we need to look at the broader context of that, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, the, the first qualification, there are a number of qualifications that we talked about last week. The first qualification we talked about 
was in the text. It says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. That is a hint of a qualification there. In my name. And we, we talked about last week the fact that that we pray in Jesus' name not just to tack something on the end of our prayer. There's a reason for that. And every time we close a prayer in Jesus' name, I hope these reasons resonate with us. I hope we don't take it lightly. I hope we are not flippant about that ending and, and get so used to that ending that we don't even hear that ending in our prayers because it is incredibly significant, incredibly important. There's a reason why in this text here in John 16, and if you go back into chapter 14, it says the same thing. Whatever you ask in my name, in both cases there, chapter 14 and verse 13, and here in chapter 16, that qualification is given. And the reason for that qualification is because Jesus is not only the mediator of salvation, but he is also the mediator of supplication, of prayers. That's what supplication means. He is the mediator of that. We dare not think we can enter into the presence of a holy God except by that mediation, except by what Christ has done and what he's accomplished and what he finished on the cross. Both to come to God initially and to continue to come to him is always on that basis. And it is important for us never to forget that. In, in one sense, in one sense, it is, it is absolute, utter presumption for an unbeliever to pray. They have no basis on which to pray. No basis on which to enter the presence of God. Prayer is for believers. It is, it is given to us and we understand why it's given to us because of what Christ has accomplished. Prayer is to be prayed in Jesus' name and unbelievers don't go there because they don't understand it. They don't understand the basis of their salvation is Christ alone. You see, it goes back to the whole idea of dependency, back to the whole idea of cutting to the chase, back to the whole idea of what makes a Christian Christian, what makes a church Christian. It is what are they depending in. And this statement, is a statement of dependence. It is a statement that the basis of my being able to come is an understanding of all that Jesus is for me. So really, every time you pray, every time you pray, every time you conclude a prayer, there ought to be a sense in your life of, of what it means to say in Jesus' name. It's the basis by which I come it's the gospel, anew and afresh. We talk about the gospel every day. You, you need to understand the gospel to pray. That's what Jesus' name is saying on the basis of all that he's accomplished. For me, I can come. I can come before a holy God. I can come, in one sense, the scripture says, I can come boldly, but not flippantly. I can come boldly because it doesn't rest on me why I can come. If it rested on me, that's utter foolishness to come boldly. 
but not because of Christ. So first of all, the first qualification is in Jesus' name. And we go on beyond that. Turn to chapter 14. I'll look at the other two texts this morning. Whatever you ask in my name, it says again here, so reiterating the very first um, condition. But it goes on, I think, to give another condition, another qualification of what the whatever means. There are lots of people who have, have, have done shipwreck to their faith by not understanding the broader context of this. I cannot tell you how many people in the years of ministry that I have been in that I have seen disillusionment all by the wayside. People who didn't understand, who, who prayed for things to happen and, and uh, they didn't happen. And because they didn't happen, they became embittered to God as somehow he didn't fulfill his promise. It's it's rampant around us. And so it's important to understand what is the whatever. What, What again is the qualification? Here the qualification is stated even more specifically. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now understand, that came before. He said that in chapter 14. And later in chapter 16 says, So I say, truly, truly, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. He just didn't reiterate the qualification. But you could very easily, he could have. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name... I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you put the two together. You see, that is the qualification. The glory of God. All of the Christian life is about the glory of God. That's why we talk a lot about the glory of God. Here. It it is central. If If you don't have a grasp of that, you're going to struggle. You're going to wrestle with this walk of faith. It's centered. We, we attempt, even as we sang this morning, we sang about the glory of God. We're going, to, we're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to hang this banner over the, our hearts. It, 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 it begins and ends there with the glory of God and even prayer. It must, it must be about the glory of God and in fact is about the glory of God. Prayer, the whatevers of prayer are about the Father being glorified in the Son. That's one of the conditions. It's one of the qualifications of this particular text, the primary qualification of this text. God is saving a people. Why? For the sake of His glory. That's why God is saving a people. He's not saving a people because they are worthy of being saved. That's what He taught us as He dealt with it the people of Israel, the, the nation of Israel. If you go back into the Old Testament, it makes very plain the statement that God did not choose Israel of all the nations of the earth because Israel was more godly than the rest. The inference is they're just as ungodly. So it's not about the fact that their heads stuck up just a little higher as God roamed his eyes over the earth that people had their heads up just a bit higher and so the glare of the sun shone on them just a little brighter and God put his favor on them. That is not the picture that the Bible gives us. The picture is they were as ungodly as the rest. But God 
for the sake of his glory, was going to save a people. And he gives a picture of how that works in the children of Israel. It's the same today. God is saving a people for the sake of his glory. And so prayer is about his glory. That's why, that's why the Lord's Prayer says, and as it begins, hallowed be thy name. When, when we get a pattern for prayer, where does Jesus begin? But with that very point, prayer begins with the hallowing of the name, with the glory of God. As I said last week, I requote the quote says, Therefore, any prayer that does not imply hallowed be thy name as the main desire has no claim on that verse. The verse that we talk about, whatever. The whatever is clarified by the glory of God. So you see how important it is that we wrestle to understand what that means. What is the glory of God? Help me, Lord. Help me to understand this. Help me to see how fundamental this is to the Christian life. It is, it is central. The problem began. The problem you and I have with sin began because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everything is, is around that this morning. So the second qualification is the glory of God. In my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then thirdly, and this is where we got a little off track last week. This is some of the part that I really wanted to better communicate to you. Number three, and here we find it in John chapter 15, if you want to turn there. Look at what it says. There's another qualifier here. The first text was in John chapter 14. The second text, John chapter 15, and beginning in verse 7 and verse 8, and we're also going to go down and look at verse 16. And then uh, the concluding text is the one that, that is being qualified in John chapter 16. But look at 15. It says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. You see how that qualifier enters into the whatever here? All of them talk about whatever, in a sense, but, but their qualifiers are not in the third section of chapter 16 because they've already been spoken in 14 and 15. And in 15 he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, the question we ought to ask is, what does abiding look like? If that's a qualifier, if that's a condition, what is this abiding all about? What does it mean to abide in me? Well, first of all, it means you're a Christian. Only Christians can abide in, in Him, in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. You are abiding, you're resting in Him, you're abiding in Him, your hope is in Him. But it's, it's more than that. It's more than just the initial rest. It's the, it's the fight to continue to rest. It's that fight of, of, of continually resting in Him and in His words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, which has to do with this book. Abiding, abiding is about a life saturated with the words of Christ, with Scripture 
with what He has spoken to us. Now, not just in and of themselves. There are people in this world who have major portions of this book memorized. Major portions. Significant, huge portions of it memorized. But they're not abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is about having this word in us and and memorizing is can be part of that and is part of that. But you've got to abide in the the Christ of this word. You've got to abide. Abiding is about resting in this message, this story, and what this story is about. It's about knowing what this book is. It's not sixty six books. It is it is one story in sixty six books. One story. It's not sixty six different stories. It's about Christ. It's about the gospel. It's it's about seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ, if you will. That's what that's what abiding in 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 my in me and my words abiding in you. It's seeing the glory of God in the story of this book about Jesus Christ. That's what it means to abide. And that's why it's a condition or a qualifier of the whatever. Because when you do that, it begins to change what you pray about, what your whatevers are. It limits what they are. It limits them to that aspect of glory, the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so part of what I think we need to learn is that as, as we abide in this word and as we see more and more continually of the glory of God in the face of Christ, it, it causes us to, to better pray. One of the things that was helpful to me as I was looking at these texts, a writer said, it's not all or nothing. That's a key point. It's this whole idea of abiding, abiding in Christ and his words abiding us is, is not an all or nothing thing. That's why sometimes the most godly of us pray and miss it. It happens to the most godly of people. They can pray and miss it. What, what they actually said doesn't actually happen. The, the whatever that they thought they should pray about was not the right whatever. And that prayer isn't answered as they prayed it. Because it's not all or nothing. It's a progression. It's a progression of seeing more of the glory of Christ in this word and letting that word get a hold of us and better influencing the whatevers and how we pray as we give lips to those prayers. Now, that's why I think we have Romans chapter 8. Turn, turn there with me. This, this is a helpful chapter for me. Look what it says. This is, this is Paul writing. And he's putting himself in this equation. Romans chapter 8 is one of the, one of the most precious portions of, of Paul's letter to the Romans. But look at what he says there in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now stop a minute. Who is he helping? Us. But Paul is in that us. Paul is saying, likewise, the Spirit helps me in my weakness. 
one who had learned a lot about abiding. And yet he would say, I need the Spirit to help me. And here's what the Spirit does. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see there? Paul says, I need God to help me sometimes. I don't, I don't know what all the whatevers are, specifically always. Now I think the more that we abide in Him and His Word abide in, abides in us, the more that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ throughout Scripture, we see the gospel in Scripture again and again and again. We do a better job of getting the whatever's right. But it is not an all or nothing thing. It is never an all or nothing thing. We never perfectly do that. That's, that's incredibly important. Let me tell you a place where that's important. It, it has to do with those people who lay on the side of the road disillusioned. Because lots of those people who lay on the side of the road disillusioned are people who thought, I, I was just convinced that this is the way it should be. God told me this is the way it should be. And, and all of a sudden, it isn't happening the way it should be. And so they get mad at God. Instead of saying, as Paul said, I could have missed it. I don't get all the whatever's right all the time. And therefore, it's not a matter of God being unfaithful. It's a matter of the fact that I don't pray perfectly. It's not an all or nothing thing. And it must have, in this case, been some of the nothing. I just missed it. I, I thought this, but I just missed it. My own heart missed it. You, you maybe need to hear that word today. I, I, have, I have dealt with people who are just absolutely devastated and delusional. I just, just a, not, not long ago dealt with somebody who was convinced that God had told him something. And he was convinced he disobeyed it. And therefore, all of his problems were because of that. I just went back and said, I'm not sure God told you that. I don't think he told you that. I think you missed it. Well, that was a new revelation to him that actually he could miss it. Sometimes we need to know that we can miss it for the sake of our Christian life. Now, do we always miss it? Should we just throw up our hands and say, well, I'll just miss it so not why pray? No. We are to pray. God spurs us to pray, but pray in that context. Pray, pray in the context of the fact that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We're, we're not all perfect in that, but we're moving in a direction. We're moving in the whatevers. Well, there's one, a couple more, and then I'm going to close this morning. A fourth qualification, and I can't even fully put words on this qualification, but it's important for us to see it, I think, as you go back to, to John chapter 16. It's the, it's the further verse, as you read on there, the next verse from, uh, that says 
this to us. In fact, not John 15, but John, not John 16, but John 15. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then it says, by this my Father is glorified. Now that should, that should connect something for us. We said that one of the qualifications is the glory of God. So here now he's talking about the glory of the Father and he tacks something onto it. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. And if you go down into verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Why do we not want to be fatalistic and say, Well, I'll miss it, so why pray? Because of the sake of fruitfulness. There's, there's something tied to, to learning to abide and let the words of Christ abide in us and and learning to pray that, that has to do with fruitfulness. Not just fruitfulness, but it says much fruit. And the other part of that down in verse 16, that your fruit should abide, abiding fruit. Much fruit that will abide. It's, it's important for us to, to learn and to wrestle with this issue of prayer and not to just think, well, I'll never get it right, so why do it? We need to fight to learn, to help God teach us in this. And there's a, there's a second thing about it. Um, a second thing, and that's in chapter 16. Look there. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Till now you have asked nothing in my name. And then he says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That's another reason that we want to fight to learn to pray because there's something about our joy being full and prayer that connect together what can that mean how can learning to pray learning to get the whatever's as correct as we can and prayer have to do with joy how do they tie together I think the way it happens is this, that that joy flows from us seeing the glory of God. As, as we are abiding in Christ and his words are abiding in us, we are, we are letting ourselves become full of, of his words, which center in the gospel, which produces joy. So we, we start to let the glory of God be our greatest and deepest joy as we see it in Scripture, as we begin to pray it, because it, it creates such joy in us. When we see the Scripture, when we, when we, we see it, we see the truth. I, I, it goes back to the illustration of last week. I shared my Sunday school class. When we were singing and Pastor Dan read from Psalm 34, their faces are radiant and never covered with shame. The joy I felt as I stood there and worshipped in my heart resonates. It's a deep joy. It's, it's, a, it's a satisfying joy. And so you have that resonate in your hearts as you abide in the Word and the Word abides in you. It's part of abiding in the Word. It creates joy in you and you pray. You pray out of that joy for that same effect on others. You want them to see the glory of God. You, you want the glory of the Father to rise up 
the glory of the Father in the Son as you pray. And you, you want people to see that because it produces joy in you and you know it will produce joy in them. And in fact, as it produces joy in them, it doubles your joy. You see, that's the joy, I think. I think that's what it means when you say your joy will be full. When you learn to pray properly the whatevers and they're centered on the glory of God, it produces joy because you see others begin to experience that joy in their life and it doubles your joy as you experience it with them. Your joy to be full the manifestation of the glory of God to, to yourself and to the world is, is a part of this whole issue of prayer. Um, I want to close with this personal illustration in my own life of how this kind of fleshed itself out. Uh, we've shared at other times my progression in, in understanding even of the glory of God. I mean, I, I was in process of of seeing the centrality of that early on in my ministry here. I I didn't come to Richland with that as the central um, thing that it is in my life today. Those early years of ministry, I was was learning about that. And, And I still remember where it kind of crystallized for me. This would be an example. It happened in different times at different places. But one particular time, it was was early on in my ministry, I attended a pastor's conference in Minneapolis. And uh, I can't fully explain that moment except that, that I tasted something there in that conference that I'd never tasted any, at any other kind of conference I had been at. I tasted the glory of God. And it created something in me that could never be satisfied anywhere else. Um, in fact, the, the, the danger sometimes when I go to other conferences is I, I can sometimes be overly critical of that because partly just because the natural outlook, once you've tasted something so rich and so deep, nothing else will satisfy fully. I have to be careful you don't get critical on that. But I'm just saying, when we start to get the centrality of the glory of God, when we taste that, when we start to, when somebody says something, it it resonates with us, we understand what that means, it changes everything. It changes everything in prayer. You start to pray because it produces joy in you. You begin to pray differently. The whatevers that you pray are different. God helps us. There's a weightiness about it. Prayer takes on a weightiness when it's centered around the glory of God. I hope that God will help us as a church to to be that kind of people, that we understand the qualifications of the whatever, and we learn to experience the joy of praying in light of those qualifications. Let's pray together as the worship team comes. Father, help us. Help us even as we close in song today, Lord, to, to, to hunger for that. And, and Lord, I pray this morning, if this issue of the glory of God does not make sense, there's some here that uh, just I don't, I don't get it. 
I pray, Father, they will not rest until you've given them a taste of it. And it begins to influence their whole life, particularly their prayer life, Father. Help us. O great God of highest heaven, help us. Let's stand and sing together. O great God of highest heaven, Occupy my lonely heart Own it all and reign supreme Conquer every rebel power Let no voice or sin remain That resists your holy war You have loved and purchased me Make me yours forevermore I was blinded by my sin Had no wish to hear your voice Did not know your love within Had no taste for heaven's joys then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your Son, gave me endless hope and peace. That's dependent on your grace Keep my heart and guard my soul From the evils that I face You are worthy to be praised With my every thought and deed Oh great God of highest heaven Glorify your name through me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, that taste for heaven's joys that you have given us will lead us on, Father, to be satisfied with nothing short of that, even as we pray. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to be people who better pray the whatevers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.